Amen. Thank you. Um, yes, thanks, guys. Can you bring those up for me? Um, Rosie, could you just get my rose that I forgot to bring up? Thank you. <clears throat> so, hello. Um, I am Karis Baker. I am married to um, David Baker, one of the senior pastors here, and I've switched with him tonight. He's doing bedtime, and I'm, uh, I'm speaking, so that's a joy. Um, and I am speaking on the next um, part of our series, um, on our Walking with God series. I'm going to be speaking to you tonight on prayer. And we're going to be springboarding from the life of Daniel into prayer. We're going to be looking at him and how he prayed, um, and then we're going to be talking a little bit about what prayer could look like for us. So let's get started. Let's look a little bit at Daniel. <clears throat> and we're going to, Daniel was um, a, uh, an Israelite, and he, he was um, uh, he was an exile in Babylon. So he was taken from Judah. Um, and he was taken to Babylon, and he was taken from his home, from what he knew, and he was put in a place and in a culture that was completely different to anything that he had known before. And because he was, um, he was a, a bright guy, and it says that he was handsome, this is in, in, in chapter one, it says he's handsome, and he was bright, he was intelligent. Uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to, uh, to, to immerse him in the whole culture of the Babylonians. And so that's what he did. He, he was taught for three years. He was taught the literature and the language and the culture of the Babylonians. Now, this is, this is a guy who, um, who has, has, has left everything. And, and what he has known has been destroyed and, and taken. The temple's been destroyed. The treasures have been stolen. He's been put in this culture. And he's been, um, he's been completely saturated with it. Um, but there's something about Daniel. As we look at him through the story, we see that there is something that is anchoring him, completely anchoring him. And I would say that it's because he is a man of prayer. So what happens is, you'll see in chapter 1 of Daniel that um, the king says, right, uh, for three years we're going to train them in the things of the Babylonians and we're going we're gonna to teach them my language and we want you to eat um, all the king's richest foods. So he's being offered the wine and the food of the king. And Daniel, it says, Daniel resolves not to eat the king's food because that is against his own um, faith in his own upbringing and his own beliefs. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just have water and I'm going to have the fruit and vegetables. And that's what he does. And, and the, the guy overseeing him says, oh, no, but if you don't look as good as the others, if, you don't, if you're not as healthy as them, um, then I'm going to get into trouble. And Daniel says, just watch, just watch. And it says, Daniel resolved to not eat the food of the king. And, and, and after a while, they see that actually he is, he is healthy. He looks healthier, more well than any of the others. And then a bit later, we get to Daniel 6. Um, a few years later, Daniel 6. Daniel has been promoted um, as, as he is, he's a man of integrity. He's a, he's a man of prayer. And he's been promoted. Um, and um, he is, he's just under the king. And he is, he's caused jealousy in, in, the, in the other leaders around him because he's had so much favor from the king. And uh, so we get to Daniel 6, and it talks about the fact that um, these, these, the satraps and the other leaders, they're looking at Daniel, and they're trying to find something that can help them to pull him down from his position. 
And so they're watching him for a while, and they can't see anything about him that would, that would mean that he was taken from his position. So they decide, what we're going to do, and you know this story, my children know this story as well, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, we're going to get the king to make a rule that if, if Daniel worships anyone, or, or if anybody worships anyone other than King Nebuchadnezzar, then they'll get thrown to the lions. And we know what happens next. They make the rule, um, the king signs it, and as, when Daniel hears that this rule has been made... He doesn't go to the king and say, what are you doing? He goes straight to his room. He closes the door. He faces towards Jerusalem. He, leans, he kneels down and he prays. He prays. He prays. And he gets spotted because they knew that he would. And he gets thrown to the lions. And we know the lions don't eat him and etc. etc. What we are seeing here is we are seeing that he is anchored in something other than the culture that he's living in. Okay, so this is, this is, this is a guy who is, is completely externally saturated by so much of a culture that is not his own, but he is so internally resolved to follow the Father that he is, he is not swayed by the things that are going on around him. He's not swayed by fear. And as I've been preparing tonight, my sense is that we are called to be a Daniel generation. I believe that there are people here who have, uh, you have giftings and you have anointings and you've been spotted and you've, been, you've, got, uh, you've got heart and you've got vision. Maybe it's in politics, maybe it's in education, maybe it's in, in whatever sphere of life God has called you to be. But, but, but we are, you are immersed in this culture and there are so many voices and there are so many temptations and there are so many moments where there is food offered to you that is contrary to what you know is, is right for you. And there is a moment when there is a, 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 a choice for you to say, are you resolved? Are you resolved to follow what you know is right and to be set apart for the Father? And how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we anchor ourselves somewhere beyond the domain of our culture and become influences and voices for the kingdom in this culture that we're living in? And I would say that it is, it is prayer. It's to pray. Richard Foster says to pray is to change. He says in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. We are called to be anchored in the Lord so that we can be an anchor for our culture. So how do we do it? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is that it's, it's not a call to to do more, to, 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 to do more praying, to, to buy the books, to immerse ourselves in, 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 in getting better at knowing more about prayer. The first thing I want to say that it is a call to a person, it's intimacy. We are called to the person of Jesus. What drove Daniel to pray was, was that he knew God. And it's interesting, isn't it? The disciples, 
the disciples say to Jesus, they don't say, teach us how to do really good sermons or, or teach us how to heal the sick. And they don't say, teach us how to, how, to, um, how, how, how to walk on water. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they watched him. And they watched him withdraw to a lonely place. And, and pray. And when he came back, there was something about him that was so appealing. There was something about, um, about what he'd been doing in that time set apart. That when he came back, they could see it on him. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to do that. To do what you do. How do you do that? And the thing is that, that, that it was because Jesus had such a relationship with his father. That he knew that he couldn't continue without without being in the Father's presence. And it's the same, it's the same with the with the disciples, with the apostles. They waited, they waited for the Lord to come. They knew their prayer, their being in his presence would change them and empower them for what they needed to do. But it is the call not to religion. I'm not saying to you tonight, hey, get better at the words that you're saying in your prayers. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to come and be with him, to come and be at, in intimacy with him. Now, I, I'm married to David. When we first got together, um, I was at university, and, um, and we had this long-distance relationship. He was at a theatre company, and I was at Cambridge University. And I spent most of my student loan... Um, trying to, to get to see him, so on, on train fares or on the phone. Okay, so that was where most of my money went, was to try and to speak to David or to be with David because I was so passionately in love with David. And so I would make efforts to speak to him and to, to, to talk to him and I'd tell him everything that was going on. He would say the same to me. And, and, and tonight, you know, that's, that's what God wants of us. He's inviting us to come and to sit with him. He's inviting us to come and be an intimacy with him. That's why I've set up this table to show you that he's drawing you to a person. He's drawing you into an intimate relationship with him. You know, religion is form without power. It's empty. And if we get into the, to the religiosity of praying, there's something missing that is so key. Because it's love that draws us. It's love that draws us and changes us. A.W. Tozer says, We're called to be worshippers first and workers second. The work done by a worshipper will have eternity in it. I'm going to read that again. We are called to be worshippers first and workers second. The work done by a worshipper will have eternity in it. You can completely change your spheres of influence where you are with the kingdom. When you are immersed as a worshipper in the presence of God. When you come to the table and you spend time with him, just pouring your heart out to him, and you let him fill you, it starts with a person. Revelation 2, 2 to 4. I just want to share that with you tonight. <clears throat> and have I got that on a slide? Can I have that? Up? Um, so this is talking to one of the churches um, in Revelation. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. 
You have forsaken the love you had at first. And you know, I think there may be some people here tonight, and you, you've worked hard for God, you're doing this stuff, um, you're, you're going through all the motions of being a Christian, but there's, you know that that, that love, that, that, that passion has, has kind of dissipated or it's waned. And I just sense that the Lord wants you to, to come to him and actually to be real with him. And my sense is that maybe there's some people here that that, 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 that realness, that, that being honest with him, that pouring your heart out to him, it says in Psalm 62, verse 4, it says, pour out your heart to God, for God is our refuge. And I think some of us, we've stopped pouring our heart out. And maybe that's because you've got locked up in pain somewhere. Maybe something happened that made you, made you stop being real with him. Maybe it felt like you were sat at the table and, and, and you, were, you were waiting and you feel a bit stood up by God, that he didn't, he didn't come when you thought that he would come. And actually you've got stuck in that place and you've actually, your prayer life has become a little bit formal. It's become a little bit, a little bit words, a little bit empty of, the, of that passion and the love that I'm talking about. And you're saying, but God, where were you? Where were you in that moment for me? Or maybe you're waiting for a breakthrough and it's not happened yet and you're just getting a bit weary of it. You're saying, Lord, where are you? You know, for me, just, just before Christmas, I had a moment like this. Um, I worked for an organization called HeartSmart. And, and one, of the, one of the leaders of the team, who's a, a good friend of mine, and, and just before Christmas, she had a kind of fairly routine operation that went a bit wrong. And she got an infection and she died within a week. And at the beginning of that week, when we were praying for this operation and we were you know, praying for it to go well and all this stuff, and I had complete confidence God was just going to, he was going to pull through, he was going to do it, she was going to be fine. And, um, and I wasn't even expecting it to happen like it happened. And, and I'm sitting there in that, in that week afterwards and I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God, what, what happened there? Where were you? And the temptation then is to kind of slightly just withdraw and maybe go through the motions of my prayer life and what I do and, 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 and kind of, but not, my heart is not connecting with him because actually, I'm actually a bit broken here. And do you know what? I think that sometimes in those moments, God is calling us to meet him in that place of pain. So maybe he's not at the formality of a date night table like this. Maybe he's at a bedside or may, maybe it's at that place where you had that, that fight and that broken relationship and that moment that really, really was painful. Or, or maybe it's, 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 it's at school in a classroom somewhere, in that place of pain, and he's saying, come to me in that place. Don't withdraw from being real to me. Don't withdraw from pouring out your heart to me because it starts with a person. If you want a relationship with a person to grow, we need to be real. We need to be real. So keep it real. C.S. Lewis says, what seems to be our worst prayers may really be in God's eyes our best. Those which are least supported by devotional feeling, these may come from a deeper level than feeling. God sometimes speaks to us most intimately when he catches us, as it were, off guard. He wants us to pour out our hearts. He wants your real. And for me, you know, sometimes that's just, that's just journaling. It's just writing out my heart in a journal. But then waiting. 
Sometimes we forget they're waiting to listen. How is he responding? What's he saying back? What's he saying to you? Okay, so it's coming to a person. And then we have practice. Okay, so we need to put in some practice, some disciplines into our life as well. Delight without discipline, this is Pete Grieg says, delight without discipline eventually dissipates. It runs out of steam. But when delight and discipline learn to dance, relationships thrive. So I said to you, when I first met David, okay, and we were in love with each other, and we would just, we would just do whatever we could to talk with one another. And, you know, with my housemates at uni, I would sit down, and, and in, I was in the days of itemized billing. Okay, so we did have mobile phones, but I used the landline because it was cheaper in those days. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so in the days of itemized billing, you'd get a bill through the post, and you'd go through every number. And with my housemates, I'd have to highlight all the ones that were my phone call. I spent an absolute fortune every single time. It was embarrassing how much I spent on phone calls to David. And, um, you know, I, and it wasn't an effort. It wasn't an effort. Now, let me talk about now. Now, <laughs> I am still completely and passionately in love with David. Don't worry, I absolutely am. But it looks a little bit different. In fact, I'm more in love with him now than I was then. But it looks different. It looks different. And now we have to put it in the diary that every Tuesday night will be our date night. In fact, lovely Josie babysits for us every Tuesday night so that we can go out and we can have time together. And it has to be a little bit more disciplined. It has to be a little bit more disciplined. We have to put it in and we have to get the practice down. And then we go out, we have a lovely time. And when we go out, we, have to, we were remembering who we are. We're remembering um, what our call is, who we are together, what our marriage is, and what we're doing and where we're going. And it's the same with God. We have to put in the disciplines. We have to come to him in, in those moments regularly so that he can remind you who you are, whose you are, and what you're called to be and to do. Because we are in a culture like Daniel was. We are in that kind of Babylon culture that has noises everywhere. And we are pulled in so many different directions. And if we are anchored into knowing whose we are and who we are through disciplined times with the Father, then we will be able to, <coughs> to move in power and see his kingdom come in our sphere of influence. So, <clears throat> what does that look like? Well, I have to say, this Christmas I am... Um, I brought, I bought, sorry, myself some new running gear, and uh, my my intention is that I'm uh, I'm going to get fit. Okay, this this my intention this year is that I'm going to get fit. Now you all know, so you're going to hold me accountable to that. Don't, by the way, but that's the intention. So, um, but there is no point me buying some really good running gear if I'm not going to use it. There's no point me having the right stuff if I'm not going to put it into practice and actually get out and run or get out to the gym. J.B. Chapman keeps trying to get me to, to join the armory, and I'm not quite there yet, but maybe I will. <laughs> but there's no point buying the books on prayer, talking about prayer, listening to the podcasts on prayer, um, but not doing it. We have to get out there, and we have to do it. Um, and I would say that that... That, oh, let me just read you this good quote as well, from Pete Grieg as well. You can't grow in prayer without some measure of discomfort. 
Self-discipline and self-denial, just as you can't get physically fit without regular exercise and a healthy diet. So your spiritual growth will be determined by the prayer exercises you choose to establish and sustain. So what does that look like for me? I'm just going to give you a little rundown. And I'm in, in a, a crazy season of life at the moment where I have four children. And they get up ridiculously early. If I was to get up um, earlier than my children, I'd probably be getting up at like four in the morning. Okay. So getting up before my children, or, you know, which is, you know, Jesus actually, he got up while it was still dark. So maybe, maybe I should start doing that. But getting up before my children isn't the thing that I can do right now. But I do try in the morning when they are distracted by something else. I try to have some time in, in the Word and in prayer for, for 15 minutes at that point. Um, then I try at midday to, um, to maybe go through the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a really good uh, kind, of, kind of leaping point into prayer. And just to, you, can, you can go through it line by line and it can lead you brilliantly into prayer. Um, it's a deeper prayer. You can spend ages on it, and it's, it's brilliant. So I would encourage you with that. So that's my morning, that's my noon. And then evening time, Dave and I will pray together. And we will have some time just, just, just praying and reflecting together. So that's, that is what I do. And, um, and you will do something different. But you need to do it. You need to do it. I'll go back to that quote that Richard Foster said, to pray is to change. And we want to be changed by him. We want to reflect him. And we want to, we want to be lights for him in our culture. So I want to encourage you, what can you do? What could you do? What could your day look like? How could you get into prayer? The other thing I just really feel like I need to say today is, I don't know if you do this, but in our Christian culture... We very often will text and we will say to somebody or WhatsApp or whatever you do, saying, can you just pray about this? We might receive a text saying, could you pray about this? Now, so often I will respond very quickly back saying, yes, praying about that. But what I want to challenge us all to do, me included, is to actually stop and pray about whatever has just been texted to you. You actually stop 10 seconds and you pray about that situation. Maybe you could spend an extra 10 seconds saying, Jesus, is there anything you want to say into that situation? Is there anything that you want to speak? And then send back a verse maybe or whatever you feel he might be saying. Because prayer is powerful and prayer changes things. You hold in you a weapon that is powerful against the enemy and you need to know. You need to know that so that you can respond to those messages actually with prayer. Okay, so that's just, that's one for you, that's one for me. Um, just very quickly, so that was, so there's a person, coming to a person, it's getting a practice in. Oh, the other one that I do as well is that what we have is around the bathroom mirror, we've got people that we pray for. So we've got missionaries, we've got friends who are missionaries in Brazil, and we've got friends who are all over the, all over the world in different places. And when I do my teeth, then I will pray for them. Think of something you do regularly, like your teeth. And if there's something that you are praying, pushing through for with the Lord, then and praying about regularly, pray at that time. Okay, that's that's a, a good little little hint, maybe. Okay, the next thing. So we've got the, coming to the person, the practice, the place. Place is is often important. Okay, so Jesus, he withdrew to a lonely place to pray. Okay, Pete Greig talks about having a chair in his house where he can pray. Now, obviously, we can pray anywhere. But sometimes when we are trying to put the discipline of prayer and the practice of prayer into our lives, having a place that we go 
that is our place of prayer is a, a really helpful way of helping us just come into the presence of God. Um, uh, Charles Wesley, his mum, and you've probably heard this, his mum had nine children. Um, and what she would do is she would sit uh, by her fire in her rocking chair and she put her pinny, her apron, over her head. And, and when she's doing that, the children knew not to disturb her. And that was her place of prayer. That was how she prayed. It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be a fandangly. It can just be as simple as that. But it's, it's just a place where you pray. Um, brilliant. So I just want to end by talking about the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Samuel Chadwick, um, who was a, a theologian and the principal of, of Cliff College up north, he says, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies or work or Christian activities. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. Guys, if you have the living God living in you, if you call yourself a Christian, then you have the power of the risen Christ living in you. You have the power of, of prayer in you because we access, we have access to a powerful God who can transform situations when we pray. In, in, in James, it talks about that, that prayer is powerful, the prayer of a righteous person. And if you know God and have him in your life, then you are a righteous person. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Guys, if we actually knew the power of our prayers, then we would not hesitate to be on our knees praying and seeing things change. It says in Corinthians, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have power in us through him. And I don't know the place that God has placed you. But he has given all of us a place of influence and a place where he says, be salt in that place. Bring my kingdom into that place. And we will see things change when we pray. We will see things transformed when we pray. We will see people healed when we pray. We will see lives restored when we pray. When you pray. And, and it doesn't have to be loads of clever words. You know, we're trying, to teach, we're trying to teach our children at the moment how to pray. And some of their prayers are so incredibly simple. Bethany prayed for me before I left tonight. That's my eldest. She's, she's seven. And she prayed for me. And she just said, Jesus, help mum. Amen. But you know what? There's power in that prayer. There's power in that prayer. And she expects it. Because that's the other thing. When we pray, we want to expect that he's going to do something. Because he loves to be in partnership. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. He wants to be in partnership with you. To change. To change the world around you. Through his power in you and through you. Does that make sense? 
Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so what we're going to do now is I'm actually just going to get us to wait a moment. And then we're going to pray. So can I get you to stand up? Well done, ladies. <clears throat> okay. Okay, I'm just going to pray. So just, just, we're just going to wait a moment. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence in this place. I just get the sense that there are there are some people here who are specifically like like the person of Daniel. And you are you have been placed in a position of influence um, in in our in this culture and I feel like um, yeah, I feel like your heart is on fire for the Lord. It's on fire for the Lord. Uh, but there are pressures around you. And, and I feel like what, what God wants to do with you tonight is he just wants to reaffirm who you are and whose you are and what your call is. To anchor you again. To anchor you again. I feel like that, 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 if, that if that's you, that also you have a voice of influence in this culture too. You, you have a voice of influence that is going to transform, um, is going to transform how things are done. Actually, if you sense that that is you, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Or any of what I've just said. If you sense any of what I've just said resonates with you, I'm going to ask you to come forward. There are others of you here, and you, um, <clears throat> when I was talking about um, 
that thing about the first love and, and coming back um, to, to intimacy with him. That actually you've got stuck at a place of pain. Uh, and you want, to, you want to come back to just being free in him.